Chet Adar, Tuf Shin Ayin Zayin, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. <clears throat> Let's do it again. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Kleinstein opens things up this week's edition of the Israel Show. Yom Shaloyach Zar. It's a day that ain't coming back. Do the best. Make the best use of these 24 hours. And guess what? Shavua Shaloyach Zar. Brand new week here in the United States. They start on Monday, but really started yesterday. Brand new week. Make the best of it. A week from today is Purim. Wow. Week from tomorrow, Shushan Purim for all those in Yerushalayim and a few other places in Israel. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. We are here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM. That translates roughly into 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Israel Time. We hope everybody is well, and we thank you all for joining us and making us a part of your week, whether you do so live or you do so on demand, which is available 
via the Nachum Siegel Network app or on NachumSiegel.com. All places that you should go to uh, hear great Jewish programming all the time. We have brand new song. It just came out. I mean, it's so hot. It's amazing. And it's really cool. I like it. Yonatan Razel issued it, I think, just a few hours ago, from what I could tell. It's called Hallelujah. And it's an upbeat, fair song. Not typical for Yonatan Razel. He's usually the more, you know, Dvekas type. Dvekas. Or Dvekut type. Um... Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the very special person who um, just sent me a text. That's right. Perm is not a week from today. It's a week from yesterday. You know what? Forget it. Just forget the whole Purim is whenever, because I don't know when you're listening. But Purim all over the world is on Sunday. Uh, you know the Hebrew date. It's just the Hebrew date, which is the March 12th. And in Yushalayim and in a few other places, I believe, like Tveria, it's on Shushan Purim, which is a week from today. Where, if you're listening live, the 13th of March is Shushan Purim. Thank you to that listener for the very important message that he sent on to me. Appreciate it. Hi, we are all so terribly fallible. Anyway, brand new music from Yonatan Razel. As we mentioned, we're going to talk about the appointment of four new justices to the Israeli court. This is so important for the future of Israel. The whole issue of the justices of the Supreme Court, just like it is in America. Just like many people say the election was won because, the election in America was won because of the, um, the fear that many people had of uh, Hillary Clinton appointments to the Supreme Court, which would change America for, for generations. Um, the Israeli Supreme Court has similar issues, but um, the way they are appointed is very different. We'll talk about the new appointments, the influence of Bayit HaYehudi, Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked, who considered it a great um, win, and uh, we'll bring you some other opinions as well. And we'll take a, a look, a brief look, at the Controller General's report that was issued last week, um, critical of um, Protective Edge Tzok Eitan, Tzok Eitan, the war in Aza against Hamas. Um, have some interesting, it's, it is quite interesting how, um, how wars are conducted in modern times. And by the way, these issues that are so critical to Israel, you will find that they, they are very similarly dealt with in America. And therefore, the discussion that we have here about these issues in Israel, I think it applies to America as well. Both are going in a similar direction. But before we get to all of that, how about something from Harel Moyal, Hashir Shel Ela, it's called. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shoshani 
Moyal with um, I call it Le 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 but it's Ashir Shel Ela La La that's the name of his daughter I believe and it's from the album Atchil Mechadash welcome again to the Israel Show my name is Mayor Weingarten you're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network so the um, the place of the Supreme Court within the um, different branches of government is always very critical in any country, countries that have Supreme Courts that are real. In the United States, you know that there is a tremendous rift, a difference of opinion of how, or of what the role of the Supreme Court justices and the Supreme Court is. There are those who are called activist judges. They think, they believe that the Supreme Court is, in part, supposed to push the country into a certain direction. Let's, let's be honest, a left, left-wing direction. What they call progressive. And I put that in quotes. And these activist judges, in, at times take the role of the legislature. In certain issues that have come up over the last few years, where state legislatures have made certain decisions or had referendum about certain things in each state, where the, where the majority of the population in state A voted, let's say, no about a certain proposition, the Supreme Court overturned the wishes of the majority and settled certain um, cases in a certain way that left no place for legislation. So the Supreme Court in America is split between the activists and the conservatives. The conservatives believe that they are there to interpret the Constitution. They are not there to make laws. They are not there to move the country in a certain direction. The conservative judges, for example, will say that there is nowhere in the Constitution that the founders agreed to um, the right of a person to have an abortion, let's say. Okay? While the activist part of the court, which in that case of uh, Roe versus Wade, won out, 
said, yeah, they're going to find a way to get that in to the Constitution by hook or by crook because they believe, the activist judges, they believe they have to be active. They have to actively move the country in a certain direction. Israel's Supreme Court was not always an activist Supreme Court. But in the 1990s, even starting a little earlier, Aaron Barak, who was the Chief Justice, he was very, very strong-headed. In Hebrew, there's a term, there's a phrase, Meshugala Davar. He, and it doesn't mean that you're crazy, but it means that you have, uh, you, you have um, such a strong will about something that you're going to devote yourself entirely to that subject. And he was totally devoted to this issue of getting the court to be more activist court and getting on the Supreme Court justices who are more active. And, in fact, we have found that there is now more and more of um, conflict between the legislature, which is the Knesset, between the government and the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court at times overturned certain um, certain laws that the Knesset passed. They said, well, this is not, there's no constitution. They couldn't say it's not constitutional, but they they say it goes against some of the basic laws um, that Israel has. Israel has certain basic laws that the court um, put together uh, many years ago. And, the, and, and, and so the court really is, <laughs> the Supreme Court is really running the country because, for example, if the Knesset passed, and they did, which we spoke about recently, which means that if retroactively it was found that um, a Jewish home was built in good faith on land that was many years later found to have possibly Arab ownership, that the state of Israel will pay, let's put it that way, the state of Israel will pay the owner, the Arab owner, and the house that's there, that's on that land, will not be destroyed. Well, last week, seven homes, this is after Amona, where an entire community was taken apart, seven homes, regular normal-sized houses, where families have been living for, for decades, they were destroyed because of such a claim that came to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided that they have to be knocked down, literally. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? So the Knesset passed this law recently, that says, instead of ripping down the house, pay the Arab person who's coming in saying he has a claim of ownership, pay him money. It's better for him too, because by ripping down the house, he gains nothing. The Arab. He can't build a house there. He can't farm that land. So many people in Israel agree today that the Supreme Court is going to reverse that law. Is going to say that law is, is um, it, 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 it goes against international law or goes against some other ruling. And therefore, they're going to tell the Knesset, I'm very sorry, but we're reversing the law. Now think about that. People elect a Knesset. The Knesset, the democratically elected will of the people, makes a decision. And then the Supreme Court, who appoint each other, basically. There's no election for the Supreme Court, and and the, the ruling parties really have very little control over who gets appointed. We'll get to that in a moment. That's the crux of the problem. Supreme Court, who's not elected by anyone, comes and says, no, no, this law, that's no good. That's out. In fact, the person who has to come before the Supreme Court to defend the law so that the Supreme Court can hear both sides is Avishai Mandelblit. He is the um, Attorney General or something like that. It's not exactly Attorney General in Israel. He said already that he doesn't want to stand before the court to defend the law. It's, it's amazing. Who, who's running the country? And the answer is, to some extent, Supreme Court is. Now, 
there were four Supreme Court members, justices, that are leaving, are retiring, and there needs to be new appointments to take their place. And that is usually done by a committee where the current justices of the Supreme Court, those who are activists, have almost a veto power over any court, any possible appointment. So if the justice minister wants to appoint um, a Judge X from a lower court to come and be a Supreme Court judge, if the judge's world view is not one of uh, activism, if it's a conservative judge, they'll just veto it. Goodbye. It's, it, can you imagine? So it, it, they, they will keep this cocoon of progressive left-wing judges intact. We'll stop. We'll, we'll take a break for some music, and then we'll continue about what happened last week when Ayala Chaked announced the, new, the four new appointees to the Supreme Court. What happened and uh, how will it affect the future of Israel? Daniel Zamir, B'Tzahorei Hayom, off of his album Nechama V'Idud, the song itself was uh, was written by Mayor Ariel Zichron Olivracha, a very fascinating Israeli artist. And this is um, Daniel Zamir's cover. My name is Mayor Weingart, and you're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Shalom, 
Daniel Zamir, his claim to fame is that he's an amazing saxophone player, but he's also a terrific um, singer as well and composer. Off of his album, Nechama Ve'idu, that's B'Tzaharei Yom, that's an old one, going back a little while. So we're telling you about the um, appointment, election of uh, four new justices to Israel's Supreme Court. They will be replacing the... Um, Retiring Justices Miriam Naor, Yakim Rubinstein, Salim Jubran, and Svi Zilbertal. So Justice Minister Ayala Chaked, realizing that the only way she's going to get in some uh, more conservative justices would be to make a deal with the current heads of the court, Miriam Naor and others, who have veto power over the system, just never ceases to amaze me how crazy this is, she won't be able to change the system, but at least she'll work within the system to bring four new court uh, justices, Supreme Court justices, who are closer to the conservative mind than to the activist mind. And the four are David Mintz, Yael Wilner, Yosef Elron, and George Kara. Mintz, David Mintz, an Orthodox Jew, lives in Gush Etzion, is considered a uh, strong advocate for conservative positions. He's cur- he was a Jerusalem district judge. Yosef Elron is from Haifa, also known as a non-activist judge. He was uh, the political pick of Finance Minister Moshe Kachalon of the Kulanu Party. You see the politics, how... I mean, obviously everywhere, but the politics and the court and there has to be a religious person and there has to be an Arab person and there has to be uh, a Sephardi person. It's like there's all kinds of these um, set-asides that they have. Um, Yael Wilner, she is the first Orthodox female justice of the Supreme Court in Israel. And um, conservatives seem to think that she will uh, be good for them. And George Kara, who is uh, a Christian Arab judge, until now in the Tel Aviv District Court, he was one of the judges who was on the panel that convicted former President Moshe Katsav and sentenced him to seven years in prison. So... Is, is this going to change things? Is the court now going to change? It's a nine-member court. Is it going to change? They're all qualified, obviously, to be Supreme Court justice, but none of them have the gravitas that Aaron Barak had, and none of them have this lifelong determination and stubbornness to change the system. As we said before, you need a Mishugala Devar. You need somebody who's totally devoted is coming in there with an agenda, and the agenda is to change the court back to being more conservative and less activist. It seems that none of these judges can do that. To to wrap up 
I'm going to paraphrase um, investigative journalist Kalman Lipskin in an article that he wrote in Mariv. One could say that Justice Minister Shaked succeeded in stopping the appointment of judges who would be much worse. That's true. And you can say that she introduced a new level of diversity to the court. And that's true. And you could say she did the maximum she could within the current political limitations. Not an unfounded claim. But the appointment of four judges who were agreed upon by the, by the current Supreme Court members and their representatives, that they didn't veto, where none of them have this world vision, the view of the, of the world, of Weltanschauung, of changing the court. With all due respect, he says, that is not a revolution. And while Ayala Chaked, we uh, honor her for doing really the best she could, I think, under the circumstances. I don't know that it's going to make a major difference. You know, it seems like the right wing in America and in Israel, as I said before, there's a lot of similarities. You know, a lot of justices that were appointed by Republican presidents ended up very being very left-wing. And the same in Israel. Justices that were appointed by, uh, by Likud governments ended up being very left-wing there it's a little harder to get your appointment in so it seems that the right both in america and israel have trouble getting their judges in and and sustaining a conservative agenda why does that happen i don't know it's to me it's rather mysterious i don't think there's a lack of judges anywhere in America and in Israel who are conservative. Maybe it's just that after so many years they've been put down and haven't been given a chance and haven't sort of worked their way up um, to to where they need to be in order to be uh, candidates for the Supreme Court. Brand new music from Yonatan Razel just released. The name of the song is Hallelujah. And it, um, Jonathan Razel writes that he wanted a upbeat song, which he hasn't released in a while, and here it is. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Hallelujah, 
Oh, the great Yonatan Rezel, brand new music. I, that was the first time I heard the entire song. I just heard clips of it because I just got it this morning. That's beautiful. We will post a link to the YouTube video of this song and all the other songs that we have played and will play during the show today and every week on our Facebook page. And you can enjoy the music whenever you like. L-A-L, we call it. Listen. Is that what we call it? Wait. Uh, <laughs> listen when you like. So how does that uh, listen? I don't remember. I think it's called L-A-L. But um, listen at your leisure, maybe. There we go. Listen at your leisure. L-A-L. It's like a takeoff on L-O-L. But anyway, um, we will post it on our Facebook page. And the address of our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the Israel show. Facebook.com slash the Israel show. We would greatly appreciate it, and it would be very helpful to um, getting the word out about Nachum Siegel Network and about the Israel Show. If you were to like that page and like posts on that page once you've liked the page itself, that would be very helpful. So um, we uh, ask you again to go there, and if you haven't done so yet, like the page and like the posts. We're going to post something amazing. I'm, I'm I got a link. I, I saw a report about this, and I got a link. I don't even know if it's still on uh, Google. So Google Maps and Google Earth, you know, they have um, ways that you can point out a particular spot on the map, and when somebody clicks on it, they get uh, photos or descriptions and so forth. Somebody did an amazing internet site which gives you a tour, a 3D tour through the second Beit HaMikdash. It's been done before, I've seen it before, but it's always amazing. And he was able, this person, to get that website, so to speak, or that, the, 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 um, he was able to get you to see that presentation when you clicked on the Temple Mount on Google. Now, I checked yesterday on Google Earth. I didn't see it there. I don't know if it's still there or if they took it off. My my feeling would be that they took it off at some point. But we have a link to it, thanks to the anonymous family, formerly of Flatbush. And um, we're going to post it on the Facebook page later on um, after the show. Take a look at that. Yeah, it's very, 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 very cool. Um... Operation Suketan, which took place, what, two years ago? Protective Edge. So the Israel Controller General, Comptroller General, the Mevaker Hamidina, put out a report last week, which had analyzed all the decisions, whether the decision-making is correct, uh, whether the cabinet was right in doing this or doing that or the other thing, and... And it really raises the question, what does winning a war mean? You know, Israel has won many wars. But in our psyche, the last war that Israel won was in 1967, 50 years ago. The people in Israel, for sure, don't think that the 1973 Yom Kippur War was won by Israel, even though militarily it was. They don't see any of the Lebanon's war as a win. They don't see the second Lebanon war as a win, even though it has gotten quiet for, what is it, over 10 years already in the northern border. And so was protective edge, Tzoketan, was that a win for Israel, a loss for Israel? That's the problem. The problem today is that wars are won first on the battlefield, but that really only counts a little bit toward the final grade. You know, like in Colin, you know, this will count this much towards a final grade. So you have to win in the battlefield, otherwise you're dead. But if you're alive, the media, and then in Israel, the courts, and the controller general, and, and, and appointed commissions, and so forth, who who then go and are quarterback... Uh, um, Monday morning quarterback and backseat drivers and whatever other metaphor you want to use. 
who sit and scrutinize every little action and every decision to the extent, and that gets the headlines, to the extent that the leadership, the prime minister, the defense minister, the chief of staff, and the people and the soldiers in the field and the commanders in the field are worried all the time about, uh-oh, if I do this, the co- there's going to be a commission and they're going to blast me. You're, you're fighting with your hands tied behind your back because you're constantly worried of what will happen afterwards. Not about winning the war necessarily. Yeah, you'd like to. The government in Israel might actually end up not doing certain things that it should do because every one of those politicians there is worried about his chair. And he's got to worry about CYA. How can you win against an enemy that is as crazy and as brutal as Hamas or Hezbollah when they are using a totally separate, different, separate uh, set of rules? And I'm, I'm not saying we should be like them, but there's got to be a middle ground where every decision, can't, we can't worry about every decision being taken to court. It's very difficult. It, it really is difficult, and, and it really goes to the psyche of, of Israel. It's almost like we can't win a war anymore. There's no way to win. doesn't matter what happens on the ground. And they, I don't know. Maybe Israelis, and hard for me to say, I usually stay away from these things, but maybe there needs to be some sort of a different, a change of attitude maybe? I don't know. One thing um, which I find fascinating and rather unprecedented is that the controller general, and, and Benji Kramer called this to my attention originally, and I thank him for that, and Later, I've, I've seen it mentioned, not enough, by the way, it was sort of swept under a rug. There's a whole part of this report from the Controller General of Israel, the Mivakar Medina, about Sokeitan, that says that possibly this whole war could have been avoided if the government would have looked to a more diplomatic approach using diplomacy to negotiate. And not only that, he says, the Controller General, but if we were to worry about, if we were to concern ourselves with the humanitarian situation of the people in Gaza, then it would probably, he says, or in in likelihood, that it would hold back the Hamas from attacking But because the people in Gaza are in such a dire humanitarian state, according to him, the Hamas was left with very little choice. Now that is crazy. Who is nutty enough to think that? I don't understand what's going on in the Controller General's office in Israel. Anybody really think that the Hamas starts a war or doesn't start a war based on what the situation of its of the inhabitants of Gaza, that Israel should have taken more diplomatic steps to enhance their situation? They couldn't get... They put people in the middle of the of the shelling areas in order to show the television cameras around the world that Israel is shelling hospitals and schools. They don't care about their people. As Benjamin Netanyahu said, in a great turn, uh, turn of a phrase... Israel uses its missiles to protect its children. Hamas uses its children to protect them against the missiles. Israel continues to supply basic needs in Gaza. I mean, if we really wanted to create a bad situation there, we could. And as some Israeli analysts say, the part that's left out of this whole controller's report about the war in Aza two years ago, two summers ago, is what brought this about. And the answer is that finally somebody has to wake up and realize 
that Ariel Sharon, in moving ahead with his plan of expelling all the Jewish residents of Aza and, and getting out of retreat, ultimately he, and therefore the state of Israel, created a terrorist state on Israel's border. That's where all of this starts. And, as is pointed out, nobody ever set up a committee to investigate that. The decisions that were made along the way to expel 8,000 people from Aza and the dangers that would be created as a result. It's frightening when you think about it. It was the decision of the Prime Minister. He pushed it through, Ariel Sharon, the late Ariel Sharon. He pushed it through in the most undemocratic way. There was no questioning it. He got nothing for it. He didn't negotiate with anybody. Nobody set up a committee for that. Oh my, oh my. We look, uh, we open up the Tanakh and we look at stories of folly that the people of Israel, different rulers did during the uh, first temple period. And we say, how could they do that? How stupid is that? How stupid is that? Or how could they do this or the other thing? And then we turn around and we look at our generation and uh, I don't know, I guess we haven't learned the lesson. Here's something from around that period of time. Udi Davidi with Min I Kolech off of the album Ruchot Tovot. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, we try to end with good news, and here's something interesting. A new trail running between 2,000-year-old ritual baths, mikvaot, that were used by pilgrims, Olei Regel, visiting the Temple Mount during the Second Temple period, is to be inaugurated at the Ofel site in the Davidson Center Archaeological Park in the Walls, around Jerusalem National Park. That's the area when you uh, go to the Kotel, and um, let's say you're coming up from Shar Ha'ashpot, on, on your right is a humongous area that has been excavated, and you're looking down many, 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 many feet, and, and 2,000 years down. And that area is the Ofel that we're talking about, and this mikveh trail, as it's called, um, was opened over there. The mikveh trail, which is experiential, circular, and modular, was constructed and conserved in recent years by the Israel Antiquities Authority. The path has been highlighted, and in that way it can be better understood within the historical and archaeological complexities of the Ophel site. Visitors to the new mikveh path, I love that, the mikveh path, will walk over bridges and stairs that float in between the ruins, so to speak, float in between the ruins of buildings and installations, and will be accompanied by archaeological, historical, and halachic explanations. In this way, they will be able to learn about the characteristics of ritual baths and their role in Jewish society of the Second Temple period in general, and in this area of the pilgrim's route in particular, the Olei Regal, who had to come into the Beit HaMikdash B'Tahara, had to go to the Mikveh first and become pure. There's two parts to this. First you go down toward Ir David, and then, um, and on the way down, there's an explanation about the purification of vessels, clothes, and objects. On the way the visitor learns about the religious laws concerning Mikveh, its operation and the water cisterns, etc. And then the second part is the Aliyah, which is tracing the footsteps of the Olei Regel, the Jews who would come to Yerushalayim three times a year and would come to the Beit HaMikdash. The second part of the path is the Ascent, the Aliyah, where the visitors go up alongside sites and explanations on an experiential route, the pinnacle of which is the exiting vista of the monumental Hulda stairs and the double gate on the Southern World Temple Mount. A Jew who arrived at this point in antiquity, meaning at the times of the second Beit HaMikdash, would enter the sacred compound, Harabayit, and fulfill the mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel. Um, those of you who have been there know that there is the remains, there are the remains of this staircase. Because, don't forget, you're coming from Ir David, which is way down, and you're going uphill on a very steep climb up to the Beit HaMikdash. And that's part of the way it was set up, obviously, that a person should feel he's going up and going up and going up until you get to the top of the mountain. Those stairs are set up exactly the way we read about it in, in the Mishnah and the Gemara, where you had, I think, two or three normal steps and then one long one, so that you couldn't run, and then again, two or three normal steps and then a long one, so that you couldn't run. You're going to the Beit HaMikdash, you've got to walk slowly. So by putting a long st- step in between, it broke your stride if you tried to, go quickly or run or whatever. You're supposed to go slow, but COVID rush and so forth. It's just 
what can I tell you? These archaeological digs are just they're just the most fascinating and fantastic thing. And and you know, for generations, Jews took things for granted or or not for granted. They they believed. They read things in the Mishnah and the Gemara about the Bet HaMikdash and so forth. We can touch it. We can literally touch it. We can touch the staircase that our forefathers walked on. As somebody once said to me, when you touch that stone, it's not the first time that that DNA was on it. It's just astounding and amazing and inspiring. We're going to wrap up with Shu'u Lasim Chashabano, Ode to Joy in Hebrew. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, stay tuned. An hour of great Jewish music followed by an encore presentation of Headlines with David Lichtenstein. And then the great Monday Music Marathon. Till next Monday, following Jamie Diem, Shushan Purim, this is Mayor Weingarten. Reminding you that nice guys, they do not finish last. They're just running in a different race. Nitsots <laughs> <laughs>